Welcome to Modern Career. I'm your host, Mary Humiston. You may be thinking about changing, advancing, or even reinventing your career. We want to help you do that and live your full potential. In each episode, I cover work and career topics, leveraging my 30 plus years of global HR leadership and through interviews with other career experts and professionals from around the world. Subscribe today and visit modern-career.com for blog posts, career stories, career coaching and workshops, and more. Let's jump into our next episode. Welcome to a CHRO Perspective. Our guest today is Harry Elsinga. Harry grew up in Rotterdam in the Netherlands, and after a nearly 20-year career in HR leadership at General Electric, where he lived and worked all over the world, he was last the Chief Human Resources Officer for Baker Hughes, a $25 billion market cap global oil and gas company with 70,000 employees. He speaks five languages, loves to ski, and lives with his family in Connecticut. Thank you so much, Harry, for joining us today and sharing what I would consider your insider insights. Thanks, Mary. An absolute pleasure to be here, and thanks for inviting me and having me on. Well, let's jump in with, I'd love to know, what is one of your perspectives on why navigating a career today is different than it used to be? I think you're right. It is different in the sense of that when I started working in the early 90s, things were more structured. There was sort of a process, you know, of coming from school, early in contact with companies or organizations, and then they would sort of fit you in almost. There was not a lot of ambiguity around what should I do, where can I work? Yeah, you, of course, had to apply and figure out the interview process. But other than that, the navigation is pretty straightforward. It was almost like the good old times in the Middle Ages. We had the guilds. We had this very structured path of you come in, they'll learn you know, how the work is done. You have a couple of colleagues to coach you and help you, and then you move on from there. Today, I think you have to be much more flexible in defining what that path actually is, because any path sort of works these days. If you like to start out in engineering, but you end up in computer engineering and you start your own software company, that's not an unlikely path at all. Nobody will tell you that's your path. You have to sort of figure it out. So this notion of flexing, ambiguity, then is being combined with time and space. You can do this, yeah, in the Netherlands or in the United States, in New York City. You could also say, you know what? I'm going to do this actually in China or I'm going to do this in Indonesia. So you have different locations around the world that actually, you know, provide opportunity. And then you have to sort of bridge that time gap that you create. So I think huge opportunities these days, it's more ambiguous. You have to sort of figure it out. But once you have a feeling for what your path is, at least to get started, because the path changes every, I think, three to five years, at least get started and move forward. That's the most important thing is, leaning forward, whether it was in the 90s or whether it's today. Brilliant. Love that. And your point too about there's this dichotomy is you can be quite mobile today and quite global. And you can also, as we're seeing now, more and more hunker down, maybe work from home. And so you can be almost as narrow or as broad. And it's quite a dichotomy. You yourself, I believe if I have this right, have lived and worked in so many places, big and small, the Netherlands, the UK, Florence, Italy, which I find the coolest, Houston, Texas, Pittsfield, Mass, Brussels, Belgium, Hong Kong. And in a recent podcast episode, we talked about 
future proofing your career. And one of the key messages was cultural fluency is really a key skill for the future. Can you speak to that a little bit? You clearly have that, but what would you say to that? And what have you found from your experience? I was fortunate or unfortunate, whatever you think of it, to be able to travel to various locations and actually live there and sample the culture and become a part of what that experience would bring. In today's world, people will say, well, you know, but with COVID and everything that comes with it, you cannot travel anymore. You do not have to travel physically to be part of a different culture. I mean, you can have a conference call early in the morning with Asia or do a Zoom call with the Middle East and still sort of get this global experience. The thing is, if you participate, whether you're physically there or you participate in a Zoom call, and then there's some sort of like, I am a spectator type thing, that doesn't work. You have to understand maybe a conference call or a Zoom meeting on Friday with the Middle East, not a good idea because that's a Sunday. And maybe the time difference is also not smart. And then what can be said and what should not be said or what needs a little bit more introduction. I'll give you an example. When I came to the United States and I started working in Pittsfield, it was my first time ever in the United States. And within a week, somebody mentioned in the HR team, hey, Harry, make sure you know this, that you understand it's in the context of affirmative action and the whole EEO sort of regulation. And I was like, what are you talking about? I mean, I had to look it up in a dictionary. In those days, you had only asked Jeeves as an online source to Google something, what we would do today. So I had to ask actually a lawyer, help me understand. And this person looked at me like, where have you been? So sometimes what we assume as such a normal and natural and like everybody knows this, if you start to reach out in different cultures and people around the world, and that's, by the way, one of the good things to have is listen and ask. Listen what people say and then what they don't say. And if you do not get the information, just ask around how work is being done. And you learn an awful lot. You sure do. Harry, can you share a story with us that might highlight what you've seen really contributes to someone navigating a career well or successfully, and maybe what potentially gets in the way? What I found is that there was this young lady from Nigeria that settled in the United States in the Houston area years ago now. And we went to school like all of us do. And then at some point, she started to become interested in an internship. Internship in, she didn't even know HR, whether it was going to be a career, yes or no. But internship in GE, that was sort of the idea. And I think good recruiters, even if people are not that clear on what they want to do and how they want to do it, when they see good talent and meet good talent, they figure out a way to bring somebody in. And so this was like this very young, talented, totally inexperienced lady that they brought in for, hey, let's do an internship in HR and then see what comes of that. It was like a few weeks only. And I happened to be in a meeting where she was actually doing some work for the team. And I thought, wow, who is this? Clear spoken, not afraid to speak up, but modest enough to get away with stuff. Let me put it that way. And so I said to the guys, if this is an intern, let's make sure we bring her back, you know, for, I think it was the Christmas period, over the holiday period to come back and have a work on something. Let's see how flexible she is. Well, this lady, you know, no problem at all. So she came back, long story short, two vacations of doing stuff for the team. And then we put her on an HR leadership program. And the interesting thing was, what I've learned is a couple of ingredients 
that really good talent has. So first of all, don't be afraid. Be confident, not overconfident, but trust in yourself. Flex with the situation. So maybe the work doesn't look like the way you thought it was going to look like, or maybe it looks like something you've never, ever expected it to be. But if it's done in a great professional environment and you can learn something new, just do it. Change of location. A lot of people, if you say, hey, you know, you're in Houston, Texas today, we really need you for four weeks in Minden, Nevada. There's a lot of people these days that say, I don't think I should do that. Forget about the whole COVID situation. So this flexibility around work, learning, asking questions, expose yourself, be visible. Even if you might feel uncomfortable to present something to a larger audience, give it a try. I mean, most people want you to succeed and like you to succeed. And this lady did all of that and did really, really well. Eventually took on the leadership role for us in Nigeria. So she went back to Nigeria as an expat, funny enough, and then at some point returned. Something that might create damage in the situation or might not be a positive environment or factor is that sometimes people have situations in their personal life that they do not discuss, but actually become a major force on making decisions around their career. And what this lady did really, really well, she shared with us in a very professional way, hey, look, you know, this is what's going on in my personal life. I do not want to make choices that will impact the way I work and the way I organize work without talking to you guys about this. And actually, we found a really good solution that actually helped her to get promoted. So by so some people say, well, it's a vulnerability that I do not want to expose. Of course, we all have levels of privacy and whatever have you. But at some point, if it starts to impact your work in the way you organize yourself and you want to do something about that, or at least say, hey, guys, can we work it? Have that courage to say, yes, I'm going to bring it up and actually end up in a better place as a result of it. I really agree with that. I've seen that so often as well. Harry, in your broad HR experience, is there a particular career topic or topics or areas that you've seen individuals seek out advice on more often than not? In a lot of cases, people ask about progression in work. So the next role, or should I apply for this or whatever? What is the next step in my career? Or why didn't I get to reverse it? Why didn't I get that position or why somebody else for that role? The interesting enough is that a lot of decisions are made based on feedback that we have on people. So the way they are perceived, the way they act, the way they handle themselves, whatever have you. And a lot of people do not want to hear that. So they'll say, oh, yeah, I did the 360 and people love working with me. I've always had great appraisals, whatever it is, whatever system it is that they follow. They'll say, no, I've had some great feedback. Okay, but do you really know why people want you on the team? And also, do you know why people do not want you on the team and why people want to work with you and do not want to work with you? Whether we like it or not, we all have these characteristics. Other people say, oh, I love working with Mary or Harry. But there's also one thing that I'm not going to volunteer to say anything, but I'll just keep that uh, away. Well, the bigger the jobs become, the more important those sort of unspoken elements of feedback, particularly around behavior, become. And there's competition. So it always surprises me that folks are really good at articulating, why didn't I get that job or why, you know, whatever it is. And then you're like, yeah, that's right. You didn't get it. Do you know why? Let me help you a little bit with that. For a lot of folks, that's sort of like, well, I asked for feedback, but I didn't ask for this. 
So unspoken, are you thinking people don't ask enough, they're not told enough, they don't want to hear it? I think combination of the above. They also do not make fresh connections. So let's say they're sort of an okay public speaker. Well, public speaking for some roles is important. I mean, you don't have to be like a news reporter, but at least you'll be able to articulate and get your point across. And some people are better at that than others. Well, a lot of people do not like the idea that they're not good at something, particularly around public speaking. It's no fun to be with you in the room. Why would I wake up in the morning and feel excited and energized you know, to be on your team? A lot of people sort of, they might know, but they do not want to get themselves confronted with that. Harry, what might be a bit of, I'll call it insider knowledge, that you think most people may not know about, but is very important to navigating a career? So I always say understand total workflow. So first of all, start with why would a customer or an investor put any money in this company? So what are we making? What's the service or the product that we actually deliver? If you understand that, so how do we make money and how do we make product and how do we make service? Then start to understand the roles that actually create that work or that product or that service. What are the different roles that get there? And it always surprises me that folks, when talking about their own career, hardly understand maybe half of the organization. They have a very limited view of the total organization in terms of what are the different jobs out there? How do they interact? If things are done well, it works like a relay run. At the right time, you move the little baton to the next person. And some people do not even know who the next person is. They're like, I don't know, I just do this work and that's it. Or they might know the one that gives them the baton, the step before what they do, but don't know the next sequence after that. And so I'll give you one example. In a lot of engineering and project type of organizations, you have the role of a product manager. The product manager has a variety of definitions, but is a key role in any organization. I was always stunned by how many people I had to explain that the product manager actually is a really good job to have, executive, senior executive type role. And I mean, I know from your GE experience, you might recognize these roles, and I'm sure folks listening to this as well. It's one of those roles where project manager, a lot of folks not understanding how these processes that take place in these organizations are sort of stimulated and led by these folks. And there's many other roles as well, but a true understanding of organization, how work is done, helps tremendously. And I love that. I think you're right. How you make money, but also how you lose money. The total workflow, as you say, that's brilliant. Harry, you have been able to work for a company for a very long period of time, which, as you know, is more rare today. GE may be a bit special in that it may be a lot of companies within a company, if you will. So a lot of opportunity to move and grow. Thoughts on that? When you look back, do you wish you had made any different pivots or changes or Are you loving that you, you know what I mean? Some people have different views on how long to stay, whether you stay with one company, just thoughts on that. So there's an element of, it was definitely a big organization with many different companies to basically be part of inside the one company, GE. So there was this variety, definitely. The thing that was most retentive for me was the leadership that I got to work with. I've always said when I started working at GE after working for eight years in construction, When I joined GE, I said, I'm going to do this for two or three years, almost like an MBA in HR, and then we'll see. Sort of do this and then move on to whatever comes next. There's never been a reason for me to resign, to say, okay, now this is unsatisfactory or the company is not delivering on their part of the equation. So I've worked in a variety of different GE businesses. I've worked 
at GE corporate in different roles, and then got the opportunity to work in the oil and gas sector with all the M&A dollars that came with it. So there was an unbelievable business transfer function to say, you know what, this is a lot of growth. By being in this role in this organization, I sort of almost organically grow with the size of the organization. My problem was, how do I scale up all the time? How do I learn new stuff to make sure that in the end of the day, how we run a publicly traded company that's different than being a part of a 100 million P&L that's part of another big organization. So this notion of scaling up with the growth of the organization was for me a huge challenge and a great opportunity. But then the people and the leaders that I got to work with, just phenomenal. Of course, we all have our moments, but I was really fortunate to work with such talented folks. And of course, I've thought several times, well, maybe it's time to move on. But the blend of opportunity, leadership team, and personal growth. Personal growth. So let's talk about those leaders and leaders in general that you've had this fabulous opportunity to work with so many great leaders. And as you say, humans. So you've seen the good and the bad and the growth as well. And leaders can have such an impact on us. What have you seen? And we're all aspiring to be leaders, whether that's a role or just our own personal attribute. What have you seen are some of the best characteristics of a really great leader and some of maybe the best practices that you've seen that help them have impact and success? The better leaders are not per se also the best communicators in the world. They can be extroverted, they can be introverted. I've never seen a formula around it like, oh, you have to be well-spoken and all that kind of stuff. So I would say the word authenticity is really important. So an authentic leader that she or he is really who they are and are not afraid to talk about that. So leaders might say, I'm not that good. I might not be that friendly in other people's perspective or I'm not patient enough to listen to all of this. It's immensely helpful if somebody just says that, like, hey, I've been listening to you. Actually, I was not listening because I was waiting for you to finish so I could start talking. So my listening was more waiting versus really listening. Can you please say one more time what you really want to say? So some people might say, wow, that's really tough. Well, it's fair. And maybe I should have done a better job summarizing what I wanted from this particular leader. So I think the authenticity and being comfortable with that is very good, as long as it's constructive. It cannot become corrosive on the team or something like that. Leaders that give people a feel for doing their best work every day. So give people a feel of why are you on this team? Why do I need you on this team? And how can you make it a better experience, not only for yourself, but also for the other members of the team? That means that this leader will have to give ongoing feedback, be in great touch with people, understand their situation, give them feedback and coaching on their career. So when you have leaders like that interview candidates, so external candidates, never met this person before, sort of the output metric from that interview should be, wow, from the candidate side, wow, I want to be on this team. I want to work for this leader. And I want to spend my time here. If leaders are able to do that, that goes a very, very long way. It exceeds definitely offering a good compensation and benefits package because that only lasts a few months and people get used to that. And then the only thing they complain about is the poor leader they're working for. What might be an important, let's say, reflection or question a leader should ask of themselves? I think it goes straight back to what I just mentioned, Mary. And I think good leaders ask themselves on a very regular basis, why does somebody want to be on my team? It forces them, first of all, to understand who they are 
and how the team thinks and feels about their leadership. But it also invites them to renew themselves, scale themselves up ongoing. Because there's always something you're going to find, you're like, you know, maybe I should not have done this, or maybe you should have done more of this. Constantly figure out a more refined way and be more aware of some of the things that people will say, that's really tough, or maybe not something that I like, but then be aware of when you use it. Because sometimes you, there are things that are maybe not so nice, but you need to figure out what's the right dosage of that and when you do it and how you do it and how you communicate. Fantastic. What is something that you've learned or taken advantage of that you think has really helped you throughout your career experience? And you talked about that question, how do I scale up all the time, which I think is a brilliant question to ask ourselves, because as we grow, as we take on more and more, let's say, scope and responsibility and grow in our careers, we have to grow our functional technical leadership as well. So we are scaling. What have you done? I think one of the most important things that you can do is have two or three people that really are your mentors. You don't even have to call them or name them like that, like, hey, Mary or Pete, you are my mentor. It sounds a bit heavy, but people that know, oh, you'll seek me out for feedback or they might not even know you at work. They might know you from something else and say, well, that's not really like you. There's some people that really give you, and I'll give you an example. I was in a sort of corporate type environment and some of the behaviors become more, I would say, polished, refined, but also a little bit abstract. There are no fingerprints left on work. That's when you know you're not doing well. So one of my CEO, one of the GE businesses, I met him and we were having a coffee. This guy's super introverted. He didn't say an awful lot other than the weather was nice. And actually, I remember it was in Italy in a nice conference room. And in the middle of our sort of little social gathering, he stops. He puts his hand out like he stopped it physically in the space. He's like, okay, let me tell you something. And I thought, oh, <laughs> I knew, here it comes. And he said, I'm going to tell you only one thing. I'm going to only tell you once. He said, you have to be your own person. I had like 10 questions, like, what do you mean with that? And why would you say that now? And do we have examples of where that's not the case? He said, no, I told you, I'm only going to tell you this once. And I'm not going to add anything more. You just go figure that out. And that has, for at least a year or so, that became some sort of navigation point for me. Like, hmm, is this something that I would normally do? or?" This is authentically how I really think about this and sort of internalize that. And then I noticed by talking to other people that a lot of people actually, I'm not saying struggle, but do not really represent themselves very well. You sit in the meeting not to give sort of the socially accepted answer, but to really say, guy, I don't think this is a good idea. Or I think this actually is a really good idea. And then for the following reasons. So it goes back to how do you occupy your space? If you are the CHRO or the CFO or the CEO or any of the roles on the executive leadership team, you should ask yourself, yes, how do people work with me and why do they want to be on my team? But also, how do I occupy my space? So how do I play to my position, but also how do I play across the team, right? Do other people benefit from me? I really love that. My mind's going with so many examples of, to your very point, where I've seen it done so well and the opposite. Harry, what is a piece of advice, career advice that has stayed with you throughout your career that you may share with us? Well, there are a couple, but the most important is, and it sounds super boring, <laughs> so I'm afraid, is that you need to know your domain expertise. You cannot be a surface runner on domain. You need to know your stuff. And you have to educate yourself. 
if you do not know the answer to something, you can figure it out. But you cannot hold a position. It goes back to the point of how do you occupy your space? You need to know your stuff. And you need to know it. You cannot say, well, I'm the leader of the team, so therefore I get away with not knowing an awful lot of things. No, you're not. <laughs> you need to know it. And you want to know the metric as well. So even if you don't like it, you might feel like, particularly in HR, we are very positive with our own feedback. We are actually really good at recruiting. Oh, really? <laughs> Let me ask your clients how you're doing on recruiting. So this honesty towards work based on domain expertise, I think that is the foundation of any career, any type of profession. And then, as I mentioned earlier, understand how you do your work. So do you occupy your space? Are you limiting yourself too much? Are you delivering for the team? And are you delivering for basically for the customer and for the shareholder? I really love that. And I think your point too is that's not a static thing. Domain expertise changes as the world changes and it evolves and you got to stay really up and with it. Being a global player initially was buy a stack of tickets and become a frequent fly on many of airliners and just go. Well, that maybe worked in the 80s and the 90s. Those times have changed. They're definitely now. Any opportunity, any interaction, I would say, with people around the world or in different states or different places is an opportunity to influence with impact. You're absolutely right. Things have changed over time and you constantly have to flex with it. Awesome. Harry, thank you so much for sharing so many insights with us. I have a couple of big three for me around, again, that criticality of flexibility, work, the learning, asking questions, the key importance of authenticity as a colleague, as a leader, and the confidence, how important it is to trust yourself and flex with situations. There's so many more. You have an amazing background and have given us a lot of key insider nuggets. So thank you a ton. Enjoy the ski season ahead. Stay safe and enjoy it best you can. And thank you so much for being here. No, thank you very much, Mary. A great opportunity to interact with you and the team. And hopefully people find this a helpful podcast. Thank you. Thank you. For more resources on this topic, visit us on modern-career.com and on social media at Modern Career Pod. We'll include the sources noted in the episode in our show notes. Look forward to talking again very soon. Mm-hmm.